keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Welcome to The Quantum Leap Catalyst with Terry Ostroviak. In the next hour, Terry and his guests discuss how to accelerate your business success and turn possibility into certainty. So turn up your speakers and hold on. Here's your host of The Quantum Leap Catalyst, Terry Ostroviak. Good morning, everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak speaking to you from San Diego in the United States. Today we're going to be talking about a very exciting subject called corporate, or in fact business communications, and we have a business communication specialist with us who's done a tremendous amount of work uh, around the United States with very large organizations as well as smaller ones and a lot for non-profit organizations like uh, uh, municipalities and uh, large non-governmental type organizations. His name is Steve Alexander. He is, as I said, a business communications expert. And the subject that we're going to be talking about today is how can we learn things that occur in large organizations in the area of communication, how they brand themselves, how do they present themselves, and pick up some ideas and tips from the larger organizations and help smaller organizations to pick up some of these ideas as well. Very often in smaller businesses, we don't have much time to think about things like that. We're so busy uh, looking at the day-to-day challenges and making sure that our customers are being looked after properly and that we are looking after the financial sides of our business, that we never get a chance to think about things like that. So our, our guest this morning is very, very well-versed in, his, in these areas, and I'd like to introduce him to you this morning. His name is Steve Alexander. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Terry, and thanks for the opportunity to talk with your uh, listeners. Thank you. Uh, one of the things that uh, Steve says is how well we communicate is determined not by how well we say things, but by how well we are understood. Sometimes in our organization, we often even go one step further than that and we say it's not so much that we, are, we, are need, that we have a need to be understood, but that we also have a need to not be misunderstood. So that's the area maybe that, that I would be interested in. Tell us a little bit about what you do in the area of communication with big business in order to make them really understood. Well, one of the things that's critical to uh, understanding any type of communication is a concept that I call the OAC of communications, O standing for objectives, A standing for audiences, and C standing for communicate. And oftentimes when we communicate, we don't realize that that communication has to occur at a time when the person who we're communicating with or the the client or the uh, consumer has to be ready, willing, and able to hear that communication. So the concept of OAC means I need to understand every time I communicate, whether it's in written form or whether it's advertising or it's through my body language, whatever the case may be, that I need to be clear and understand what my objectives are. What behavioral change do I want from my audience? The second part of that is knowing who my audience is. And a lot of times folks communicate and spend a lot of money and time and resources on communications but aren't targeting those communications laser-like to the audience that they need, that matters to them, whose behavior needs to change based upon that communication. And then the last element is, you know, what is it that I need to communicate? All communication has two components emotional and rational components. 
And that means, for example, when you see a TV ad for a Ford Motor Company, for example, not only do you understand that rationally you can buy that vehicle at the right price, it has the right kind of equipment, but oftentimes you'll see either children playing or families or a sexy model or some other emotional element in the communication. So those three things, objectives, audience, and communication, the OAC uh, of communication is critical to effective communication. Interesting saying that. And so it's amazing that, you, that you're in, in fact suggesting that large businesses have to bring their communication down to a, a, a micro level in a sense so that uh, people can identify. In fact, if we watch the uh, TV uh, ad, uh, commercials and advertisements, as well as maybe in uh, the, the other media like newspapers, for instance, and magazines, we're always bringing it down to that, that basic level, like what are, the, some, what are the things that we're supposed to be doing every day that this organization can help us with rather than just talk generally about it. In fact, I've just had a, um, an email coming in from... Uh, from Stephen in uh, York in England. Funnily enough, he, he also sent in a message last week as well. And he feels very strongly about this area. And he says, sometimes big corporations are faceless monoliths where people feel unappreciated and alienated and voiceless. And his suggestion is that maybe big businesses could learn something from small businesses in uh, maybe bringing out the best in people. He said, I'm inclined to think that the strength of small businesses and the staff feeling, if I speak, I will be heard, and the problem is how to replicate this direct communications channel in large corporations. What do you do in that area of making big monoliths less like that and more sort of family-oriented? Well, one of the issues I think uh, Stephen touches on is what I call the heart and soul of a business, and what we've learned, of course, as we've grown to a lot of multinational corporations and the, and the kind of climate we're in now with the use of the Internet and such is under the uh, effort to become high-tech, we've lost high-touch. And I think Stephen touches upon the yes, important concept that we need to be uh, in touch with our audiences. And in the case of big businesses, and I operated, worked with the largest public relations firm in the world, we had to oftentimes bring people together physically uh, so I will tell CEOs, not only is it important for you to communicate you know, through email uh, and uh, company newsletters and such with your employees, but also to ensure that you're in a high-touch environment where you can be physically present at times. Uh, it might be brown bag lunches, informal gatherings, stop-bys in various uh, offices and headquarters and, and customer sites and things of that nature. And how would, I mean, what, what lessons from that, do we need to recognize in smaller businesses, even micro-businesses, Steve? Tell us a little bit about that. Have you got any examples of organizations that were doing that? Yes, in, in fact, it's, 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 it's interesting because, again, when you go back to some of the basic principles, and I think you touched upon it with the quote that I used from uh, Andy Grove uh, a lot, it's, it's not so much what we said, but you know what, what was heard. So one of the things that's really important in communication, no matter how small the business is, is to understand what I call the whiffum for your audience. What's in it for me? You can't get the attention of your audience, your consumers, your clients, unless you really understand where they're coming from. And a lot of times folks are so anxious and excited, especially in a smaller business, uh, to get started and to deliver what they're excited about and, and what you know rings their bell, that they forget that they've got to touch the lives of their potential customers and clients where their customers and clients are. So I call it, you know, going to the heart of and meeting the with them, the what's in it for me 
of your potential uh, client or customer. Understanding that their days are cluttered up with taking the kids off to soccer and, uh, you know, trying to hold down a job or two and make their mortgage or rent payment and, you know, they've got a whole bunch of distractions and you need from a communications perspective to be able to break through that, not because from a small business perspective you're excited about what you have to sell or the service you have to provide, but instead because you have to meet the need, the whiffum, the what's in it for me of that end user, that client or customer. Have you had? Uh, can you give me an example of an organization where you worked, that you worked with, that maybe you had to do something like that? Well, one of the uh, clients I spend a lot of time with are clients in the conservation area. In other words, people uh, where they're uh, involved as a nonprofit, for example, with uh, land use issues, and where yes. they're looking for either donors of land use or changing people's behavior in terms of ways to. Um, from a nonprofit perspective, uh, acquire and preserve and conserve uh, land uses. And one of the things that folks oftentimes do is get caught up so much in the, the rightness of what it is that they're doing that they forget that, like I said, uh, on a day-to-day basis, they've got to stop and go out and relate to and connect with the very people that they want action from or they want a behavior change from. So, for example, in one community, we're dealing a lot with uh, river preservation for this client and and the restoration of a a river. And they have to actually go out, and we've done um, television ads, uh, website development design, and uh, other support work for them to help them communicate the values that matter to that local community in order to get that local community to support this small business's effort uh, at changing behavior. And that's what you'd call high touch then, when they really do go out and they start to talk to the individuals and and and, and get away from uh, everybody thinking that big business is moving in and just taking over and saying, well, here's some of the benefits that you receive. Right. In fact, well, we, we, we use a lot uh, when uh, we're doing work at uh, various levels of public opinion research, which I can't stress strongly enough for the smallest of businesses and the biggest of businesses the value of public opinion research. How do they do that? I mean, how does a small business like a corner store, for instance, manage to do something like that? Well, well, I'll give you a good example. I'm working with a little campground right now, just a small local business. Uh, Though They're part of a bigger uh, national uh, effort. They have a lot of small local campgrounds in smaller communities. We ran some focus groups for them. Now, one of the ways to do that was, in a very inexpensive way in that case, was to actually go out and design a small survey and go out and talk to the campers that were in the campsite at various points of time of their market. So, for example, they had weekend campers, weekday campers, they have winter campers, summer campers, and to ask them what's in their minds, what's in their hearts, why they come to the campground, what matters to them, why they would refer a friend, what they like about it, where they'd like to see improvement. Now, that kind of you know research, if done objectively, can bring an immense value to a small business or a big business. And at a very, very minimal cost, you could take the time to uh, use staff or otherwise uh, solicit those kinds of questions and learn a lot. Again, communication is about listening. Uh, 80% of communication is nonverbal. And I always say, you know, uh, we got two eyes and two ears and only one mouth. That should have given us a clue as to uh, what we're supposed to be doing when it comes to communication. So for this part of the show this morning, then, maybe that's just simply the message that we need to be asking more questions and listening more to people in our area. We're going to into a break in a moment now, and after the break, uh, I'd like to question you and, and talk with you a little bit more about uh, what we could do to uh, help smaller businesses do something like that, like ask, you know, get some 
and get a better understanding of the market that we're in without it taking away from, from our day-to-day challenges. So let's go into that break, and then straight after the break, we'll go into examples, and I also invite people that are listening in to call in and maybe give us some examples as well as ask some questions. See you in a moment. Be back. Hi, folks. Good morning. This is Terry Ostroviak speaking from San Diego in the second part of our show this morning, and my guest is a business communications expert. He's a member of the International Association of Facilitators and International Association of Public Participation. So he does a broad band of work in all kinds of different communication areas with large organizations as well as not-for-profit organizations, and he is Steve Alexander. Steve, we've been talking about uh, maybe lessons even from small businesses to big businesses and the other way around. Can you give us some more examples as to how small businesses can benefit more from some of the lessons you've learned in big business? Sure, and uh, again, you know, as uh, as we discussed a little on the break, folks are oftentimes struggling, especially in the first or second, third year of a small business, to simply just pay the rent, to, to, to get the day-to-day done. I usually try to help folks understand that communication is so integral into what, in what they do. There are three elements of any business, and one of the reasons why uh, 80% of all small businesses fail in the first year is undercapitalization, the inability to do the business that they set out to do. So I usually try to help folks understand there's three elements in a business. One is the service that you provide or the product that you sell, uh, whatever the service you perform, whatever it is that you should be spending about 60 to 70% of your time doing. Then about 10% of your business is simply administering it. A lot of times in small businesses, you know, one or two person shop, you've got to simply just spend time dealing with the books and the applications and, and that sort of thing. But the third that's element normally done out of out of out of working hours. In fact, exactly. All of that. Although, although around the dinner table, <laughs> right? As I was going to say, in a small business, as we know, there are no non-working hours. There are only yes. working hours. But the third element is which you should be spending twenty to thirty percent of your time in is building more business, business development, strategic planning, and things of that nature. And that's where most folks don't spend their time, and as a result. They end up after the first year finding themselves broke, out of time, exhausted, and don't have a successful outcome from their efforts. There's a little uh, small smoothie shop in town here where I do a little work with uh, with the young kids that are running the business and constantly re- reminding them that it's not just what they do from behind the counter, but it's how they communicate with their target audiences. And because they're a beach location kind of uh, operation, uh, I'm constantly yes. encouraging them to get out to to the beach community where they draw a lot of their clientele and customer base from. Uh, they have to get out there with flyers and signage and, and those sorts of things to make certain they're communicating on a regular and ongoing basis with the simple messages that will, again, change behavior, in this case, meaning drawing people into their shop as customers. Interesting. You know, Steve, on Saturday I was talking to a man that, has, that came from overseas, a new immigrant into the United States, and he bought into a small business, and uh, he was the owner of it. And uh, he he said one of the things that he felt that he should do was go out with the service people. And so he started uh, traveling initially in the first uh, couple of months with the service people to the clients. And then he would um, he would introduce himself, and uh, his name is Aubrey. And he said, "My name is Aubrey." And they said, oh, really, what happened to the original guy that used to call on us? And they said, well, he's still around. He said, 
that I've come along, and they said, well, what role do you play? He says, well, in fact, I'm the owner of the business now. I've just taken it over, and I've come to find out a little bit more about what you do so that I can be of service to you. And so for, for, for a couple of months, that's what he did. He traveled around <laughs> servicing the clients as though he was the service person. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, again, I've got a client who's a CEO on a smaller-sized business, but they provide a very important service in that yes. they provide all the IT technology uh, uh, services to a municipality. And when he first came into the business, there were a lot of challenges because a lot of bad press, but he put together a customer advisory group, for example, and yes. invited onto it a number of customers who can advise him and guide him. So he's not only gone out to them, but he's actually brought them in as an integral part of the operations to learn what they think, what they feel, what their experiences are. Wonderful. Almost like an advisory board, but particularly related to, in this case, marketing and sales, you say? Correct, yes. Wonderful idea. Very good. Yes, I, you know, it's, it's amazing you know, that people in small businesses often feel, just like senior executives in very large organizations, feel very alone. There's no one to talk to. They want to bring their problems home to their, to their families. And so who do they talk to? And so advisory boards, I suppose, like the, the one you're just talking about right now, can be extremely valuable. Yeah, and again, we, uh, we tend to get caught up in what we call our feedback loop, where we talk, we hear ourselves talk, we listen to ourselves, and we think that's what the world is saying. And the reality is that's not true. And the only way, again, to find out what people think, and this can be done on lots of different levels, very expensively with market assessment and uh, you know, just a wide range of expensive uh, market and opinion research, or it can be done on a more casual basis. And I always like to encourage folks to, to ask questions because, again, uh, communications is primarily driven toward listening, hearing, sensing, understanding what our customers and our clients are, are saying to us or not saying to us. Okay. You know, next week um, my guest is uh, from from Europe, and uh, it's a woman, and she will be discussing with us diversity and cross cultures and things like that. Do you do anything in the area of communication with cross cultural, say, marketing or doing business with overseas companies for United well, States? Well, I was uh, down in Chile last year, and uh, again on a, a big, uh, very large nonprofit client. Uh, one of the issues and challenges they were facing was that because being in that country from an American uh, mentality perspective had caused them some problems because of their predecessors, we had to go down and we spent actually uh, a day-long session uh, with interpreters. I don't speak Spanish, and, and we had to learn and understand what was on people's minds in that country, and we selected people from the business sector, from the agricultural sector, from the government sector, and spent, like I said, a full-day session learning and empowering them to tell the truth. Uh, and there are three concepts I like to use when I'm doing these kinds of sessions, and that's what I call telling and asking for the truth, creating a trust-based experience, and providing an opportunity for what we call transparency. What you see is what you get. This is the real thing, so to speak. So we did that in that situation and learned invaluable insights as to how this American-based organization was perceived by the cultures in those countries that were agrarian as well as some of the uh, business community and the government community. And that radically changed the, the profile of the way they were doing business in that country. So this telling the truth, are you suggesting sometimes people don't tell the truth in business? Well, not only not tell the truth, but again, <laughs> <laughs> the, 
they have a message to give, and oftentimes the public senses whether that message, what I call, resonates with them, whether it uh, has that ring of authenticity. Uh, so you're saying sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> right, that's right. Sometimes and and people need to learn about things like that. So it's not right. enough just to to be able to say, okay, this is what this is the business rule, and they're really not listening to what they what their clients want. No, and again, and, you know, last year, last year, sorry, just to interrupt you for one moment. Right. Last, uh, in fact, a few months ago, I was I was traveling overseas, and um, I met a woman from the Netherlands, and she said to me, "Is there really democracy in the United States?" And I was astounded that anybody would even question that. <laughs> so after after sort of hesitating for a while, I said, "Well, how do you mean? Why do you think that?" And I think that one of the things, this is the discussion that we had, was that many times America seems to be so good in the communication field, and uh, they seem to be able to get their message across so well, and they seem to spend so much time and effort in doing that, that uh, I think people from outside, from other countries, sometimes feel that they're really not listening to what's going on outside of the United States. Well, we do. With small businesses, similar things occur. Yes. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we do tend to get very parochial, and like you said, uh, whether it's uh, an American-based uh, company that is parochial about its product or its services, or whether it's in a small business where you get very parochial about your pride in what you do, the pride in the service that you offer or the product that you sell, and as you said, communication is uh, really driven by how are you perceived, and I like to say to folks, perception is reality for the person who perceives it. So if I perceive that it's raining outside, whether it's raining outside or not, I'm not going outside without a raincoat on because that's my reality. So understanding that our audiences uh, do perceive a reality that may be different than our own and paying attention to that, learning about that, uh, becoming sensitive to it, and then determining how we can use that in the course of doing our business will make us much more effective uh, business people. Excellent. I, I think that's absolutely vitally important. I'm going to suggest to people as well that if you'd like to uh, learn a little bit more about stuff like that, and especially, I don't know if you know that the show today is called Quantum Leap Catalyst, and the idea of quantum leap means breaking out of our normal patterns of behavior and doing things beyond what we ever thought we were capable of doing before. Once again, when we caught up into, in, in, we are caught up in a daily challenge of just simply earning a living, we often don't think about what would happen, what could we sort of, what kind of future could we invent for ourselves without it becoming a real hassle? I mean, it sounds so impractical, and yet we need to do something like that. So I invite you to go to my website, which is uh, qlcat.com, and have a look at uh, some of the things that we're doing in that area of helping people to think forward, and especially in smaller businesses, because when we're alone and uh, just worrying about how we're going to pay the rent or keep the doors open in the next 30 days, those things are not that important. So when we come back after the break, we'll talk a little bit more about the idea of how do we project ourselves forward? How do we take quantum leaps in our business, especially in the area of communication, and present ourselves more effectively? So we'll see you just after the break. Stay with us, and uh, if you'd like to phone in and ask some questions, we'd love to have you. See you in a while. Hi, good morning, folks. Uh, we're going to the third part of our show this morning, and my guest is Steve Alexander, who's a business communications expert working here in San Diego, but works internationally, I would say, as well. I just gave an example a moment of being in, a moment ago of being in Chile, and he does work in other areas as well. 
So one of the questions, again, that I'd like to ask you, Steve, is what, what should small businesses do in order to uh, increase their visibility in, in the marketplace that they work in? What are some of the things they could be focusing on? So again, when, when it comes to looking at who your potential audience is or who your uh, potential customers and clients are, one of the things that small businesses often miss is focusing in laser-like on the objectives of their communication. What behavior change do I want from my audience? Do I want people to come into my store? Do I want people to buy my service? Do I want people to listen to what I'm doing? And unfortunately, a lot of times people jump uh, too far and too fast into either paying for advertising or you know, engaging in whatever outreach they're doing or putting up their signage or whatever the case may be without taking the step-by-step learning first what is, again, in the hearts and minds of the people that they need to reach. What are their behaviors and what behaviors do they need to change? So what I call strategic communication means pulling back from the ready, fire, aim approach uh, and instead asking, who is my target? What about them is important to me? What is it that I need to get them to do in order for my business to succeed and survive? And in answering that, making certain that our communications then are uh, aimed at where they are, what they're doing, and what's in their hearts and what's in their minds. So they need to sit down and actually think through a lot more what they're doing rather than just going on what sometimes seems like gut instinct and saying, well, I'll just follow that without thinking it through. Well, remember, that gut instinct is oftentimes based upon their own uh, tainted, and I don't use that in a pejorative way, but their own tainted view. And that view may be tainted by their excitement, their enthusiasm. It may be tainted at uh, some historical information they have that's inaccurate. It may be tainted by family history or cultural understanding or background. But the only way to really know what your potential uh, clients or consumers are thinking, are feeling, and are doing is to go out and ask and to to do that, like I said, in some informal ways, some formal ways. But otherwise, your instincts may be right, but your instincts also may be wrong. And if your instincts are wrong, that will be a very, very costly mistake uh, to make. And that's, again, why a lot of small businesses fail. I was sitting in a restaurant a few weeks ago uh, at lunchtime, and uh, two women came in, uh, and they had been sitting for quite a long period, and... uh, Somehow or other, we got served before them. I don't know how it happened. I think maybe the, the restaurant was fairly busy, and they had somehow got lost in the rush. And they right. started to talk about how long they'd been sitting there waiting. And the waitresses that were dealing with them at the time started to explain to them how difficult it was and <laughs> what a long line there was for the food. And, and these people were getting more and more frustrated. So they were explaining what their situation was instead of trying to find out where these clients were at that moment. And, 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 and where they were at that moment was that they were in a rush. They'd come in for a quick meal, and the very thing that they wanted uh, wasn't being delivered. But, the, but the, the, the waitresses in this case just simply didn't listen to them. They were this much more I, intent on telling them what the problems were that they had. Right. This is what I call going to where your client is rather than expecting the client to come to you. No matter how self-righteous, no matter how good, no matter how much quality, no matter how right, the most important thing is to go to where the client is because especially in the situation you just described, and I, I'm a big believer in communication as well for my own self, so when I'm a consumer, if I'm out at a restaurant and the service has been great, I'm going to let the manager and the server know that. If the service has not been great, if it's been below par, 
I'm going to let the manager and the server know that. And the reason is, as I always tell them, you would rather have your customers talk with their mouths than with their feet. And by that I mean, of course, you want that feedback, no matter how painful it may be, because otherwise if I talk with my feet, that means that I get up and I leave and I never come back. Now, there's a rule of thumb in uh, in uh, customer service that says a person who is wronged in a business experience will tell ten other people about that. And that word of mouth, as we know, is the most credible form of marketing and advertising, and it can have an incredibly negative impact. Yeah, is very very important to yeah. make certain. Literally, that. within 24 hours, about 32 people know about the problem. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly. Yeah. Right. I once had an experience with buying a new car. A new car came, and the the car was damaged. Uh, it, it just didn't function properly. It turned out within six months, the engine was defective. It had a pinhole in it, and as a result of that, the entire car and and related drivetrain and such was ruined. I ended up writing to the president of that automotive manufacturer and got a response from them. And as a result, they turned that situation around, provided me with a brand-new car, and I've told hundreds of people about how good that service recovery experience was. So communicating with your customers, listening to your customers, asking them, for example, the situation you used, I'm terribly sorry. We're going to comp your meal tonight. We want to make certain you have an absolutely excellent service here. We understand and we've heard, and then repeating back to the customer. And that's where people oftentimes fall down. Communication is a three-step process. It's what I say, it's what the other person heard, and then finally it's my confirmation that they heard what it is that I intended to say. And that's the piece that we oftentimes miss. Uh, isn't it true, in fact, that bad news shovels much faster than good news, Steve? Yes, and in fact, I use a concept with folks where I say more is more in communication because in a vacuum, in the absence of information, bad news eventually will fill that vacuum. Gee, we yes. haven't heard from company so-and-so anymore. Or we, you know, we haven't seen so-and-so anymore. Or they, they were closed the other day. I wonder what that means. Maybe they're going out of business. Bad news will travel faster, and invariably bad news will fill a vacuum. Right. Okay. I think we've just had somebody uh, emailing me and asking me a question here, Steve. Okay. Um, uh, this is David from Hungary. He said, my question is, I'm working for a public supermarket. I have no influence on growing sales, but I feel that the customers are sad in a hurry, and if I had the opportunity and the skill talking to them, it could help the business. But there's no encouragement to do that from our management. What can I do? Well, I think, you know, one of the issues is to help management. Again, think about who your target audience is. In this case, you're focusing on the target audience being the customer. Your target audience may, in fact, be management because the place where you want the change from is management and talking to management about the potential for increasing sales, increasing their customer base. See, the management has to understand, go back to what I said earlier, the with them, the what's in it for me. Yeah. If the management doesn't understand what's in it for them to listen to customers, then why should they listen to you and your desire to listen to customers? So, this is interesting. He says, I feel that the customers are sad. Right. Maybe, and in a hurry. And if I had the opportunity, I could help the business to understand that. So would you, in a situation like that, maybe even suggest to the small supermarkets that uh, one of their objectives is to make people feel happy about coming into that store? Well, I, I would say I would suggest this because if they're operating from a business model, they're saying the objective isn't to make people feel happy. The objective is to increase sales. That's the business objective. Yes. As a byproduct of that, or as an ancillary product, I bet you there's research out there, and I bet you this person who wrote the email in could find this research by doing a little bit of uh, 
searching on the web, I bet you there's research that happier people tend to buy more. I'm, I'm willing to bet that that's substantiated through market research. And if that's the case, then being able to go to the owners of the store and make the case that I believe, based on this research that I've done, happier people will purchase more. You'll see an increase in your sales. So why don't we talk about and explore ways to understand what our customers are feeling from their buying experience? What are they feeling from their shopping experience? What's their shopping experience like? How can we enhance that and drive more toward a happy, uh, sort of brighter, uh, and it could be any number of practical things that could be done in terms of displays and lighting and uh, a greeter at the door like a Walmart does, those sorts of things that will drive customers into a more, um, you know, a higher uh, level of well-being. Right. And again, that's a byproduct related to increasing sales, which just my guess, but I think a good guess, that that's what the owners of the store are concerned about is increasing sales. Sure. And I, look, I suppose, you know, I mean, shopping or, or, or going into stores very often is a social event. It's not so much about the shopping itself. And if it's a happy experience, people would automatically want to go back there. That loyalty factor must be hugely important. Right, and we know in, brand, in any small business. That's right. We know brand loyalty, and, and you know, big companies spend a lot of money not only building their brand but building brand loyalty. In fact, the statistics on a company like Nike, for example, who no longer even has to use its name in its ads because its slogan "Just Do It" and the, the swoosh symbol has so well penetrated its target markets, they've spent a lot of money on building not only the brand but brand loyalty. You can apply those same principles to a smaller business, and in this case, talking about the little grocery store, what is the brand of that store that brings people there? Is it the convenience in the neighborhood? Is it the, sounds like, not the good shopping experience, but could it be the good shopping experience, the friendly atmosphere? Right. We've all heard these components of a brand. Is it the cheapest? Is it the fastest? Is it the best? Is it the prettiest? You know, uh, that sort of thing. I, you know, I remember at one stage when I ran my business overseas as well, um, one of the challenges that I had was that I could get the people in, which is always the hardest part, and then to say to myself, how can I leverage this opportunity? If these people think that what I'm doing is good enough, how do I get them to come back? So maybe after the break, we've got a break coming up right now, and then we'll go into the last part of our show. Let's talk about how do we get people coming back on a regular basis, not necessarily just looking for the new customers. So be back with us in a few moments and uh, we'll talk about that subject. How do we get people coming back? Hi folks, this is Terry Ostroviak again. My guest is Steve Alexander, who's a business communications expert here in San Diego and works internationally. And this morning we're discussing how we can take lessons from big business and maybe utilize them in small business opportunities as well. Steve, you had an idea that we just discussed during the break that you felt that uh, you would like to mention. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. Uh, one, when we uh, were talking before the break about communications with customers and such, uh, one of the things that is very important is once you've, no matter what kind of business you're in, you've taken the time to develop a customer base, it's very critical to nurture that customer base. And again, we talked throughout the show about some examples of asking questions about how they're feeling, what their experiences are, why they come to the company, you know, whatever the case may be. So keeping that communication and dialogue is very important. One of the least expensive methods of marketing and advertising and building a business is word of mouth. Uh, and if you can uh, make happy customers and, and satisfied customers and clients 
and make certain that you're understanding what it is that makes them happy, then helping to nurture and grow that client base is very important. Uh, So I would encourage people to do that. One of the things we're doing with this uh, law firm in town uh, is uh, helping to understand where they get their business from, and they get a lot of referral business and why they get that referral business. What are the key elements of that? Not just saying, gee, we're happy we get referral business, but why do we get it? Why is it our firm that gets picked to do that? And identifying and interviewing some of the customers and, and folks who do refer to them to determine what components of that business are critical to them. Uh, that's what we call, again, you know, what are the brand values, the unique brand values. And the last thing I thought is very important is no matter what we do, no matter what kind of business we run, invariably the business is about people. People and relationships are at the center of all of our communications. And understanding that the more we're able to listen to, be sensitive to, hear, and understand what the people that we work with, the customers that we're working with every day, want and need from us, uh, the more sensitive we are to the fact that business is often about business relationships, uh, the more successful we're going to be in the long run. I've I've talked to some people here in the United States about uh, their attitude towards uh, management's attitude towards the people that work in their organization. And many organizations will say that their most important customers are their own people because if their own people are happy in the business, they'll pass that message on to the customers. What do you feel about that? I think that's really that's really true. I mean, again, using the, the grocery store example, you know, uh, happy people tend to uh, behave in a, a, a much different way than people who are unhappy. So making certain that your employees, the folks you work with, uh, the right. people whose lives you touch from whatever the elements of your business are, uh, making sure that those folks have a very positive right. impression is very important. Steve, we have a caller. Mike from San Diego. Would you put him through, please? Hi, Mike. Are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Tell us about yourself. What is it you want to know from our guest today? Well, I was writing down what Steve was saying, and I used the... uh, I'm having trouble uh, making the quantum leap to bridging the uh, conservative thinking of managers to a progressive, preventative way of dealing with... uh, Pain. That's I'm in the pain prevention business. I'm and, sorry, I didn't uh, catch that. Say it again. I'm in the You're pain in what prevention business. And um, a lot of times, what I'm what I'm saying is addressing the posture of employees in house and giving them a way to correct themselves scientifically, um, and showing managers how to um, save money in doing that. Um, I started writing down what your emotional vision was, the rational vision, and the objective vision. Right. It seems that the problem is that it's it's hard for me to get these um, um, managers to think outside the box, like you know, slamming the wallet down type of thing. Okay. So on the on the quantum leap area, uh, and 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 being being more sort of innovative about the way that they operate. What do you feel about that? Well, one of the things, as you said, I'm having a hard time getting these managers to do this or to do that. As soon as I hear that kind of phrase, it always takes me right back to the with them and suggesting that what we need to do when we're trying to create change is to ask, who is it we're trying to change? What are our objectives with that change? What's the with them for them in that change? In other words, the with them is what's in it for me 
Yeah, I wrote that, that down. Body. I wrote down the, the emotional vision with, with appeal to an employee at home and work, so playing and working pain-free. Right. And then uh, the rational vision for managers is the cost savings realized by a pain-free workforce. Right? Is that I'm, I'm on the right track? Yeah, I think I think you are on the right track. What are what are the kinds of things that would make a difference to them? That would make their jobs easier, make their uh, job more productive. You know that that sort of thing. So again, helping to understand. Is, oftentimes, when we want to talk, we want to start out with the word "you need to do this" or "you need to do that" or "you did this to me" or "you did that to me." And instead, we want to take ownership of what we want and say, I would like to see this or see that. I would like this change or I would like this opportunity. And doing that by focusing on what the benefit is to our target audience. In this case, you want the manager's behavior to change. You want the managers to be more receptive. Yeah, I want to move them their current thinking of medical costs into a preventative mode. Right, right. So they have to see, as you said, what's the value in doing that? How does that translate to the bottom line? How does that translate to, for example, measurable outcomes like uh, their employees will stay longer, their employers, employees will be more productive, you know, things of that nature. And so I we know talk that about quantum leap maybe. One of the areas that I feel that is vitally important in business is that people get the feeling in the business that it's their business, right. not just that they're simply employees in an well, organization. Well, for many businesses, that's the quantum leap. What we call ownership, that the employees feel yes. a sense of ownership, emotional ownership, and right. the managers feel a sense of emotional ownership. Is that what's missing in your business, Mike? For me, myself, or in communicating? No, well, to no in the business that you're in, with the, from the people. Once again, Terry. Um, I'm saying is that maybe what's missing in that business at the moment, the feeling of ownership by the, by the, by the people in the business? That they don't yes, feel that, that they really... That, that, that this is their business. That what they do makes a difference, that what they do matters, yes. that what they do has a, a profound impact on not only where they work, but who they are and the ultimate outcome and success of that business. Terry is suggesting that that may be a, a vacuum there, that may be a hole there. Yeah. And that's and, a question. Is that true? Yeah, and the, and the thing is, I'm trying to, to go out and hit a home run with large corporations, so um, the micromanagement is amazing. So it's hard for someone to uh, uh, okay. make decisions and to to change the way that they think. And in other words, you can get your foot into the door. It's getting your foot into the door so that you can open up the rest of the opportunity. Mike, I'd be very happy to discuss that with you offline if you want to. If you go to my website, qlcat.com, there is a, an area there where you could get a 15 minutes um, or maybe even more uh, discussion with me on how do we introduce a quantum leap into our organization. So if you go to qlcat.com, you'll find that on the home page. And just uh, you can write it in if you would like to. Uh, just write in, email me on it, or just call in if you'd like to from the website, and that that might be able to help you with that problem. Thank you okay, very well, much. I, I, uh, Mike, just email before I call in, so, so I'll just wait. Appreciate the call. But I appreciate you guys taking my call. Sure. Thank you very much. All right, nice talk. Bye. Bye-bye. Steve, we're just going into the final minutes of our session this morning. I just wanted to thank you very much for the input that you've given us. I mean, it's such high-quality insight that you have from all the experience that you've had in the years uh, from working for this largest PR company in the world or this largest communications company in the world and now running your own business. 
Uh, if anybody would like to talk with Steve, you can do it through my website. Just request it through my website, qlcat.com, or you can email me at terry at qlcat.com. That would be fine, and uh, I could make that connection for you. Next week, uh, on Monday morning in San Diego, and which is in Europe, Monday afternoon, either 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, 1,800 hours or 1,700 hours, we'll be talking with the marketing director of one of the largest computer and consulting companies in the world. It's an American organization, but uh, this particular person is based in Europe. And we'll be talking about cultural, cultural differences and diversity in business as well. That's her major interest. Her name is Louise Alt, and she'll be talking with me about that subject. And uh, I think you'll find that very, very interesting, particularly those people that come from other areas in uh, the countries that they live in and also who may have other people in their organizations that are not indigenous to those countries. Steve, thank you very much for being with us. If anybody wants to know any more about the subject, once again, go to qlcat.com and uh, peruse the website, and maybe you'll get some ideas there, and by all means, give me a call in on the question that's asked on Quantum Leap. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, You're very welcome. Good morning. Thank you.